Well, hey, my name's Tyler. I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. Uh, you guys doing all right tonight? Okay, good. I am a little under the weather. It's been going on about two and a half weeks now and still bothering me. And so I've got a little bit of a nasal voice. And if I have a dramatic, violent cough, I'll try to move away uh, so that you guys don't uh, blow out your eardrums. And good luck for those who are on the podcast listening in uh, later this week. It could be bad. But uh, it's a privilege to be here, guys. I, I really do love coming each and every week, even on the nights when I don't preach. Um, because I love what God's doing here, and I love meeting new people, and it's a privilege to preach to you tonight. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Um, For those of you who are new, we are just walking through the Gospel of Luke. We'll probably finish up in April, and our goal was to get through the whole Gospel in, in not in three to four years, but in one year. And so for those of you who are like, man, I wish we could go deeper in this passage, or I can't believe they skipped over that, you know, we, we wanted to cover the Gospel of Luke and give you a good grasp of what it meant, but we really didn't want to spend three to four years in Luke. And so bear with us on that. And man, I would just encourage you in your own time, if that's you, that's like, I want to go deeper, to, to go deeper, to get your study Bible, to get your commentary and, and to dive into it. But Luke chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 38 to 42. Tonight's one of those nights where we are going to go deeper. And so I'm excited about that. Let's go ahead and read, read it together. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. So follow along with me if you would. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And when, when they say they went on their way, they're heading eventually to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to die on the cross. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Uh, For those of you who've grown up in the church, this is a very well-known passage For many of you, maybe you've never heard it, but I'm excited to preach it tonight. So let's pray and uh, ask God to bless this time. Father God, we thank you that we can come in here week in and week out and and, and listen to the the word of God. Listen to your gospel. Listen to uh, Luke's account of Jesus' life. And I pray that tonight it would be a blessing. I pray for those who are here that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. And tonight, as I'm not feeling well and uh, struggling with this cough, and I I pray that you would just give me the strength uh, to preach effectively and to not be a distraction, Father. And I pray that your spirit would fill me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, so one of of my favorite books that I've read in uh, recent times, I'm a big book reader, as most of you know, uh, not new to you. But uh, this is called The One Thing, and it's a business book. It's, it's not a Christian book. It's a business book. And the author's kind of big idea is that we live in this crazy culture where there's a million different things. It's this consumeristic society where we have options everywhere. We've got access to information where, wherever we turn. And uh, how do we narrow it down? How do we focus in our life and not just be going a million different directions? 
And so their, their big idea is that less is more. And so they talk about what's the one thing. But I want to read just a little paragraph from the book to give you a, a clue of what I'm talking about. The authors say, the doors to the world have been flung wide open. And the view that's available is staggering. Through technology and innovation, opportunities abound and possibilities seem endless. As inspiring as this can be, it can be equally overwhelming. The unintended consequence of abundance is that we are bombarded with more information and choices in a day that our ancestors received in a lifetime. Harried and hurried, a nagging sense that we attempt too much and accomplish too little haunts our days. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel that frequently. And then he finishes saying, We sense intuitively that the path to more is through less. But the question is, where, where do we begin? From all that life has to offer, how do you choose? How do you make the best decisions possible? Experience life at an extraordinary level and never look back. And the answer, he says, is to live the one thing. Now, once again, this is a business book, so he's talking about the one thing in your company or organization or the one thing in your family or the one thing in your personal life. But I want to ask you guys tonight, for those of you who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, for those of you who say, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Christ, I want to ask you, what's the one thing in your Christian life? I mean, we've got a million things going. We've, we've got small groups that we're in or that we're leading. We've got serve projects and outreaches and, and we go to this retreat and this conference and this mission trip and this, you know, ski trip. It's, it's endless the amount of opportunities you have to serve and especially the church like this. What's the one thing that matters? If we really want to live a life that's, that's a life of meaning and purpose to the glory of God, we need to deal with that question. What's the one thing? Of all the things we do on a weekly basis, what's the one thing that matters in the Christian life? And so that, that's the title of my sermon, The One Thing, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I think this passage, this very well-known passage about Mary and Martha explains to us what this one thing should be in the Christian life. And so I've just got three observations from this passage that I want to talk about. Just three. Three observations. We're going to walk through it, and then we're going to, we're going to land the plane at the end. And the first one is, if you're a follower of Christ, then you will have to choose between serving Christ and listening to Christ as your one thing. Let me say it again. If you're a follower of Christ, at some point you're going to have to choose. Am I going to build my life on serving Christ or on listening to Christ? And we see it in this passage. If you look with me at verse 38, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So there was a choice to be had there. Jesus was traveling from town to town. There's no doubt that Mary and Martha had heard amazing stories of what Jesus had been doing. And it's, there's no doubt that Mary and Martha believed in who Jesus said he was. And so can you imagine the stress that Martha was feeling? Her name Martha in the Greek actually means mistress. She was the head of the house. She was single and she felt the weight of preparing for Jesus Christ to come to her home. It, it, it kind of makes sense. We, we had some people over to our parents' house, my wife and I. It was our Life Stage 2 staff. We had a big Thanksgiving party. 
And I got to tell you, my wife was, was a wreck. She was running around. She was anxious. She was nervous. And she was spending all of her time trying to get everything together. So I can see Martha just frantic. And so Martha was focused on serving Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. Mary chose to listen to Jesus. It says that her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This word listen is this concept of continually listening. Listening. I, I can see her as he walks in the door, stopping whatever she's doing to help out, and just sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to every word he had to say. Listening to his teaching about the gospel and about the good news that he came to bring salvation and hope and forgiveness. And she's eating it up. And guys, this is not a minor detail. Mary is a woman in the first century. Women in the first century didn't sit at disciples' feet and listen. That was a place for men. Women were supposed to be out doing other things, and if they were listening, it needed to be in the back of the room or at the back of the synagogue. Mary was sitting at his feet. You know, Christians get criticized all the time, like we, we don't value women in the church, you know, the elders and male leadership and all of that. But I'm telling you, if you look at the New Testament, women were uh, elevated in the New Testament church. Women were elevated in Jesus' teaching and in Jesus' life. And Mary is a perfect example. She came as a disciple and listen to, and listen to Jesus' teaching. Guys, if, if, if we call ourselves disciples... We all should be sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching, to his word. And some of you might be saying, well, that's going to be a little difficult. Jesus is not here, so what do we do? We can't go to his feet and listen. Well, praise God, he left us his word. So the Bible is, is, is the word of God. And in, in theological terms, we talk about Jesus is the living word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John said in John chapter chapter 1. Jesus is the living word, but he's left us his written word. And so the very things that Jesus was sharing to Mary on that day, the very things that Jesus was sharing in his teaching were the gospel. It was the Old Testament, and he was telling us what the Old Testament, how it was pointing to him. And so we have everything we need in the Word of God to listen to Jesus and to learn from Jesus and to learn what the gospel is and how it changes our life. We have no excuse. Man, woman, whatever job you have, however busy you are, uh, however new you are to the Christian faith, however old you are, we're all called to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. It's funny, Luke mentions the Word of God 40 times in Luke and Acts. The Word of God is so important to Luke's teaching. And the Word of God is so important to the Christian life. Uh, We need to constantly be under the Word of God, listening to the Word of God, but we definitely have a choice. And so let let me put it this way to kind of help you understand this, this choice that we have. I have a choice with my kids. I have two girls. I've mentioned them numerous times because I love to talk about them, and they're wonderful, they're beautiful. I love them. And I have a choice to make every day with my girls. I can choose to spend all of my time serving my girls. You know, I serve my girls by going to work every day and working hard and, and providing income to pay for the, to the, for the bills and to put food on the table and a roof over our head, and I can constantly just be, be focusing my energies on, on working and serving my girls. Or 
I can make my one thing my main priority with my girls to be listening to them, to be spending time with them, to be engaged with them and talking to them and, and letting them share about their day and about their, their things that they like and want to play with and all those crazy things. I have a choice to make every day. And, and let me ask you a question. If I choose to serve them every day, busy, activity, doing things, how would that affect my relationship with them? And maybe some of you know that from your upbringing with your parents. You know, maybe some of you, your dad said, hey, you know, I love you, but the way I show my love is by working and working and working and I'm active and I'm doing things. And all you wanted was for him to sit and listen to what you had to say. Listen to the problems that you're going through. Listen to uh, the things that are going on in your life. And that's what's happening here in this passage is Mary chose to sit and listen to Jesus Christ. So that's the first observation. We have a choice to make, guys. If you're a follower of Christ, what are you going to do? Sadly for me, um, I, I too often choose serving. Uh, with, with seminary, I'm in school right now. With ministry, with family, I am constantly going and I have meetings every week and, and shepherding meetings and business meetings. And I too often gravitate towards, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn favor with God by working hard. And I'm going to impress people with how hard I work. And too often I leave out my time with the Lord, listening to the Lord. You have a choice. Number two, if you choose service, if you choose service as the one thing, then your life will be filled with stress and pressure and self-righteousness in this performance mentality. If you choose service, meaning if you decide, I'm going to spend my Christian life trying to do, 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 work, 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 uh, activity, 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 and that's going to be how I relate to God, then be ready for stress and anxiety and pressure and self-righteousness. Let me show you what I mean from the passage. Look with me at verse 40. It says, and this is interesting, it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. So Jesus shows up, he's got his disciples, they're, they're hanging out and they're all listening to every word that Jesus has to say. And no doubt Martha wanted to be there listening, but Martha was distracted by serving. You know, she's running around the kitchen, she's, she's moving around, she's doing stuff, and I can see her peeking in there like, golly, I wish I could be in there listening to what Jesus is saying. Oh, I've got to get, I've got to get this going and I've got to do this and... Golly, I wish I could be in there listening to Jesus with everybody else. She was distracted. She was so busy serving Jesus that she wasn't listening to Jesus. And then it goes on and said, she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha said, you need to go tell her that she needs to get off her butt and come help me. Because that's what she needs to be doing right now. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And so two ways that, that this idea of activity and service affects your relationship. It, reflects your, it affects your relationship to God and it affects your relationship to others. So when you choose Christian service or activity as your one thing, it affects your attitude toward God. Martha was demanding of Jesus what he should be doing. She went up to him and she said, you need to go over there and tell her to do what I think she should be doing. Her attitude towards Jesus was like, hey, look at all the things I'm doing and look at what she's not doing anything. She's just sitting there. 
She needs to get up and come over here. She, she had an attitude of entitlement before God. And guys, let me tell you, in my life, when I get into that mode of just I'm doing the rat race and I'm running and going, all of a sudden my attitude shifts towards God and I become demanding and I become a little, you know, woe is me and, and kind of that pity party of, Lord, when are you going to bless me and, and why are you blessing this person? They're not working as hard as I am. They're not doing all the things I'm doing. That's a huge problem in the ministry. But it affects your attitude to God. It also affects your attitude to others. When you choose Christian service and activity as your one thing, it affects your attitude towards other believers. She was mad at her sister. She was frustrated. She, was, she, was, uh, she couldn't believe that her sister left her to go sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. And there was strife and there was this self-righteousness going on there. And I see this all the time in the church. I see people who are probably the most active people in the church. And if you were just looking in from the outside, you'd be like, oh, look at, those are great Christians. Look at them scurrying about just doing things and serving people. And wow, that's amazing. But a lot of times the attitude of that person is self-righteousness. They've chosen to live a life of performance. And they've, they've decided to have a transactional relationship with God and others. And it's like, I'm going to do for you if you do something for me. And so they go around looking at other people like, man, why didn't they show up for the turkey? You know, we did a, a turkey packing thing last night. And I'm sure there were people who were like, man, look at who didn't show up. Look at that. Man, I thought they were a good Christian. And they're thinking in terms of performance. And it affects their relationship with others. Um, that, that's a difficult thing, guys. H how about your attitude towards God and others? If you're just taking an inventory of your life tonight, how would you say your attitude is towards God and others? Have you found yourself kind of feeling entitled towards God? Like, um, look at all the things I'm doing. Shouldn't I be getting a little more in return for that? Are you becoming a little more demanding towards God? Like, look at all the things I've sacrificed. I could be doing this, but I'm sacrificing my time. Don't you owe me something? And then also with your relationships with other believers. Do you have a self-righteous attitude towards others because you think you're a harder worker than they are? This is the result of um, choosing the one thing being Christian activity and service. It leads to this kind of mentality. And finally, what it leads to is stress, anxiety, and pressure. At the very end, the Lord says to Martha, 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 and I can just see the sympathy in how he's saying it. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Here's the description of Martha who chose Christian service over listening to Jesus. Distracted, anxious, troubled. Does that describe you tonight? Distracted. So many things going on. I don't have time to, to spend time in the Word and prayer. I just got too many things I'm doing for the kingdom. Are you distracted? Are, are you anxious? Are you, are you worried? And once again, guys, for me, that is my default mode. I am an anxious person by nature. I am a doer by nature. My wife is the same way. I can remember a, a dark period in our marriage after we had our second child, Emily. It was in 2013. I hadn't come on at Christ Chapel. I was at the seminary. Already had the baby. And, uh, you know, praise God, she came home. She was healthy. 
but something, and I, and I got permission from Ari to talk about this, but, but something happened with Ari after the pregnancy. She became like super depressed and she became very uh, driven and performance minded in her role as a wife and as a mother. And um, she, she started getting real frustrated with, with Rachel because that's our oldest daughter, because Rachel was was playing in a room and making a mess and she would get frustrated with me because I would go in there and wrestle with the kids and play and leave toys out and everything was all out of place and she was just would rush in there and put everything back in order and there there was this joy that was lacking in her life and and as a as her husband and as a pastor I was thinking man what what do I do I I've, I've got to fix this but there is this is not Ari and so we went to counseling, both of us together. We went to counseling. We went to two or three different people, and it just wasn't working. A lot of the counselors, sadly, were saying she needs to start doing more. Like if she starts doing more, then it'll change her attitude. And it's like, no, I think she's doing too much. This, and she finally clicked with this godly woman, awesome woman, and they just connected. And the woman said, how are you doing in your time with the Lord? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you letting the gospel of Jesus Christ just bathe you? Is, is there grace in your life? Are you performance-driven? And Ari's like, oh my gosh. I, I can't believe how far I've fallen into this, but I am performance-driven. I'm obsessed with doing an activity, and I'm stressed out, and I'm missing out on relationships around me, and I'm missing out on my relationship with Jesus Christ. She was at the end of the rope, and yet she was doing a lot of things. In that time, we came on staff at Christ Chapel, and I'm telling you, if other girls looked at her life, they'd be like, man, she's, she's active. She's involved in a, uh, a pregnancy center. You know, She was serving there and helping out with a for-life initiative. She was taking care of the kids and doing an amazing job with that. The house was clean. And, but on the inside, she was serving Jesus, but she wasn't listening to Jesus. She was serving Jesus, but she wasn't sitting at his feet, letting him shower her with the word of God and with the gospel. My question is, is that you? Guys, I'm, I'm kind of tired tonight, so this is a little more of just a conversation, but I, I want to ask you, are you in that place right now? Where you're saying, hey, I profess to be a follower of Christ and I'm supposed to be joyful and, and excited about my relationship with Christ, but I am not. And I am just going through the motions and I'm just doing, 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 but my heart couldn't be further from Jesus. Is that you tonight? If it is, I'm afraid you've chosen service for Christ as your one thing. To the detriment of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Serving Christ to the detriment of your relationship with Christ. How crazy is that? And yet I do it all the time and some of you do it all the time. So what, what do we do, guys? Where, where do we go from there? Number three. Let me recap. Number one, if you're a follower of Christ, then you will have to choose. You've got a choice to make. Serving or listening to Christ is your one thing. Number two, if you choose service as the one thing, then just get ready. Because you're going to be miserable. And life is going to get tough and you're never going to be able to do enough. But number three, if you choose listening to Jesus through his word, then your life will be filled with devotion and closeness to God. If you choose listening to Jesus through his word, then your life will be filled with devotion and closeness to God. 
If you're a believer, is that not what we want? That's what I want. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to walk into a room and I don't want people to be impressed with my speaking or with my uh, humor or with my charisma or with my Bible knowledge. I want people to be impressed with the fact that they can tell I spend time with Jesus Christ and that they can tell I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what I want. So look back at the passage, the final verse, verse 42. Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary made the right choice. And Jesus said, I will never lead her away from communion with me. Let me tell you something, Martha. Mary, your sister, has chosen the one thing. And I'm not going to take that away from her. I don't care how many dirty dishes there are. I don't care if the food didn't cook to perfection. I don't care if the floor is dirty. I am not taking away the one thing from Mary because she found it. And it's the one thing that's necessary. And I want to say to you guys tonight, we have a million different things that we do here in our young adult ministry. We have a million different ways that we're asking you to serve and be a part of. But I will never ask you to neglect your time with Jesus Christ, to serve in our ministry. Now, the cool thing is, when you spend time with the Lord, and when you sit at his feet and listen to him, all of a sudden your motivation to serve goes through the roof because you're motivated by grace. You're motivated by delight in Jesus Christ. You're motivated by uh, the fact that you have been set free from sin and forgiven and cleansed, and what you want to do is get up from that time with the Lord and go serve people. John Wesley said, every day I set myself on fire for God and then I go out and people watch me burn. Every day I get up and I set myself on fire for Jesus by spending time with him, by meditating on his word, by praying, and then I go out and I serve people and people watch me burn. That's awesome. And that's what Mary did. What a godly woman she is. The great Puritan Bible commentator Matthew Henry said, our sitting at Christ's feet when we hear his word signifies a readiness to receive it and a submission and entire resignation of ourselves to the guidance of it. We must either sit at Christ's feet or be made a footstool. We must either sit at Christ's feet or be made a footstool. When I'm a historian, so if you don't like history, sorry. I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. But one of my favorite preachers, his name was Robert Murray McShane. He was a Scottish preacher in a small parish, I think it was Dundee, Scotland. And um, he was a pastor at the age of 22. Um, his brother passed away when he was younger. His brother was a godly man. And when he passed away, he, he gave his life to Jesus and it changed his life. And he went into the ministry. And at 22 years old, he became a pastor. And boy, was he an awesome pastor. At his little church in Dundee, Scotland, revival started. Uh, this guy preached the word, and this guy was, was, a, was a godly man. And what people liked most about Robert Murray McChain, don't forget, we're talking 22, 23, 24, 25 years old, your age, was that his heart was set on fire for Jesus Christ. He was sold out for Jesus Christ. When he walked into a room at 22, 23 years old, people were shocked 
at the godliness and holiness that they could sense in this young man, this young adult. We're not talking about an old man. We're not talking about a gray-haired man who had all these life experiences and, well, I'll be wise one day, I'll be godly one day. We're talking about one of you who sat at the feet of Jesus and older men recognized something different about this guy. And he died at the age of 29. He was sick most of his ministry, but it didn't stop him from shepherding his people. It didn't stop him from going house to house visiting. It didn't stop him from going on mission trips. It didn't stop him from getting up and preaching the word every day, even though he was sick. It didn't stop him from writing letters to, to the people in his, in his parish that were asking questions about life. And it didn't stop him. But he died at the age of 29. And here's what some of his friends said about him in a book I read recently. Friends and biographers agree that the key to McShane's spiritual vitality and influence was his devotional life. McShane considered his communion with God to be an all-surpassing fellowship. What a great statement. He considered his communion with God to be an all-surpassing fellowship that was foundational to his life and ministry. His best friend, Andrew Bonner, wrote, With him, the commencement of all labor invariably consisted in the preparation of his own soul. In one of his notes for a sermon on Matthew 25, 10-13, McShane says this about sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. The greatest joy of a believer in this world is to enjoy the presence of Christ. Not seen, not felt, not heard, but still real. The real presence of the unseen Savior. If you're a pastor in this room... If you're a small group leader, if you're a volunteer, if you're leading one of our lay teams, if you are a leader in Bible study fellowship, if you are a leader in FCA or Young Life or in high school ministry, or if you have any kind of leadership capacity, listen to this. That's not your one thing. Your one thing is to be satisfied in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're not satisfied in your relationship with Jesus Christ... I don't care what you do. It's not going to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. You're not going to have that presence when you walk into a room and people say, that is a godly woman. I can tell she walks with God. Pastors, you're not going to be walking into a room and people say, you got, I can tell that this person walks with God. They might think you're a great preacher. They might think you're a great small group leader. They might think you're really good at Bible knowledge and memorizing scripture. But if you don't commune with Jesus, you don't have it. And you're just running the race like Martha, distracted and anxious and troubled. God is speaking to us tonight through this passage. Could that be said of you? Do people look at your life and go, wow. I can tell that you love Jesus and that you spend time with Jesus and that you don't neglect that time with Jesus. I remember hearing one story about Billy Graham that the president of the United States called Billy Graham. Billy Graham had great relationships with every president since Harry Truman or actually since Eisenhower. And he was close to them. He was like their chaplain. One of the presidents, I can't remember who it was, called him. And his secretary was like, oh, I better, I better go get Billy Graham. This is the president of the United States. So she knocks on Billy, Billy Graham's door. She opens the door, and he's face down on the ground praying. And she says, Mr. Graham, the president is on the phone. 
And Mr. Graham said, I'm talking to my Savior. I'll call him back. I don't know if I would do that, to be honest with you. I don't care if it is Barack Obama. I would be like, well, I'll be right back. I'll, uh, let me jot down where I was. I'm gonna... I mean, that's a guy, that's the one thing for Billy Graham. And how do I know that? It reflects in the way he lives his life. Guys, too much. I, I, I hate preaching because every week I preach and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to change my life. Like it wrecks me every time I preach. I love preaching, but my point is, <laughs> it, it, it wrecks me because I'm like, I am not measuring up. Why is Jesus not my one thing? Why do I get up in the morning and think, oh, I've got a, I got a paper I've got to write. I know I need to spend time with you, Jesus, but you know, later I've got things to do. Oh, I've got a sermon tonight. I'd love to spend time with you, just me and you, but I've got to spend time reading the Bible so that I can teach it to other people. Oh, I got meetings today. I've got to really focus on that. I'm stressed about that. I just got to put that to the side. I got a test today. Oh, I got to put that to the side. Guys, it doesn't get easier. You're going to have more and more things that get in the way of that if that doesn't become your one thing. And so some of you may be asking, okay, great. That's awesome. Mary's a godly woman. But, but what's the result of that? Let me real quick tell you the result. John 12, you don't have to turn there. John 12 this is the story of Jesus coming back to their house. This is later on. This is right before he's going to Jerusalem to die. So Jesus went to their house in Bethany in this passage, chapter 10 of Luke, and then he leaves and goes to different places. And then now he's making his final journey to Jerusalem. And Bethany is just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Once he gets over that mountain, Jerusalem is right down there and he's going to die. So he shows up at Mary and Martha's house, and this is, this is hilarious because it says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. Lazarus lived with them. They were brothers and sisters, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Here we go. Jesus is coming to the house. They believe in him, and he's coming for dinner. And what does it say next? Martha served. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with Jesus at the table. Mary Therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. This expensive perfume, some commentators say, is a year's worth of salary. She breaks it, pours it on his feet and starts getting on her hands and knees, scrubbing his feet with her hair. Picture that. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, Judas is the one who betrays Jesus eventually, one of his disciples, and the, and the writer says he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Look at that. Judas says, why didn't we sell this and then we can serve people? Then we can serve the poor and we can do all that. You know, we can, this is stupid. You just wasted it at the feet of Jesus. Interestingly, at the feet of Jesus again. Uh, let's see where we are. He said this in verse 6, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He's a bad guy. But here's what Jesus said about Mary. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Mary knew that Jesus was going to die. And so she was preparing him for his burial. None of the other disciples knew that. 
If you look at the Gospels, Jesus is constantly saying, hey guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Awesome, we're going to Jerusalem and we're going to set up a kingdom and we're going to, we're going to you know, destroy the Gentiles and it's going to be, who's going to sit at his right, who's going to sit at his left, who's going to be the highest in the kingdom? No, guys, I'm going to die for your sins. Remember, I've talked about this for, for years and they didn't get it. Nobody got it except Mary. Mary saw what Jesus was going to do. Mary knew what Jesus was going to do. How did she know? Because she sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his word. Because that was her one thing. You have a lot of ways to serve, guys. A lot of ways to serve. You have careers. You're busy, I know that. You're working 50, 60 hours a week. Some of you are in school and you got finals and papers and family and some of you have spouses and uh, you know, social events and friends and then we have you doing, you know, on mission here at Christ Chapel doing stuff and life is extremely busy. But don't forget the one thing. Don't let your service get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Pastors and residents and interns and leaders, don't let your service get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Don't do it. No doubt there's some in this room that are like, this is not me because I don't follow Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. This is the one thing for every human being created in this world. Even if you're not doing ministry stuff, even if you're not serving in the church, you're serving and you're doing and you're trying to pursue a career in money and wealth and fame and, and, and comfort and security. <coughs> That's leading to stress, anxiety, fear, and, and self-righteousness too. And so the offer is for you tonight as well. You can make Jesus your one thing tonight. How do you do that? By faith, not by works. Not by works, by faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to wash away your sins and to give you rest? He said, I came to give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me and have rest. That's you tonight. I want you to hear what I'm saying and pursue Jesus as the one thing. Listening to his word, listening to the gospel and believing. Guys, if we do that as a ministry, the anointing of God in this room will be palpable. The fruit in our ministries will be beyond anything we could describe, beyond anything we could take credit for, if we pursue him above all things. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are our one thing. Nothing else matters in this world. Apart from you, we can do nothing. My wife, my family, my ministry, my friends, uh, bills, a home, a car, all of that is secondary. My relationship with you is above all things in this world. You are the one thing that's necessary. I pray, Lord God, that that would bring actually relief to the people in this room. For those who've been running the race, the rat race, of just serving and, and, and trying to earn your favor and trying to work, work, work. I pray that this would be a relief. That really the only thing they need to focus on is communing with you through your word.
studying your word, memorizing your word, talking to you in prayer and devotion, and all the rest takes care of itself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Lord, give this ministry a singular focus, which is your glory and praise through communing with you. Help me help us. In Jesus' name, amen.